Well, good morning, everybody. Welcome to Water Church North Attleboro. We're so glad that you are here. And if you're here for the first time again, special welcome to you. My name's Tim. I'm the campus pastor here at Water Church North Attleboro. And we have one in Norwood, and then we have one in Easton. Special things are happening in our Easton campus right now. Uh, two weeks ago, they installed a brand new campus pastor. His name is Don Wood. We've been looking for a couple of months now. Uh, Doug and Joni, who are elders here, went to campus pastor over there. They have stepped aside for him, but they're staying there as um, elders, and we are very excited about this. So they hired a campus pastor, and things are looking good for them. He's fired up and ready to go with the Lord's work there in Easton. So when we welcome them in the video this morning, big hand for Don Wood today as well. Not yet, but we'll get there. They, <laughs> they also hired a guy named Joe. He's the worship director there and a young guy from Berkeley College of Music. And so he's phenomenally talented and uh, his, um, uh, he's leading the worship there now. I hear it's very very good. I haven't heard it yet, but from all accounts, it's like American Idol over there. I mean, it's good. And uh, he's young and single, so all the ladies, uh, you know, who are looking for a young godly man, just want to let you know he's over there. Uh, <laughs> anyway, um, so that's what's happening in Easton. And then they have a special day today. It's called it's, it's Easton Day, and they sent out brochures. And of course, the rain did not cooperate with us, but... Um, we're hoping that uh, it clears up where they can move it into the gym at the school there. So great things happening at Easton, great things happening in Nord, great things happening here in North Attleboro. Uh, great thing is we're together in this building this morning. If you have a Bible, we're going to continue with game plan, God's game plan for you. Turn in your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4, I want to give you a solid shot in the arm. Bring your Bible to church. Bring your Bible to church. And, and if you don't have a paperback Bible and you have a smartphone, you don't even have to buy one, get the lifechurch.tv Bible app. It is free, available at the Marketplace for Droid or the App Store for iPhone. You download that while I am speaking right now. That's the only thing we allow you to do here on your smartphones while I'm preaching <laughs> is download the Bible. All right, we've got a tough crowd this morning. Ephesians chapter 4 this morning, and while we go to Ephesians chapter 4, we are going to welcome in our Easton campus watching by video today, and a very special welcome to new staff members Joe and Don Wood. We're glad to have you guys with us as well. Welcome them in, North Attleboro. Amen. All right. God wants you saved, healed, set free. Today we're talking about equipped. Somebody say Equipped. God wants you equipped for ministry. You are a minister this morning. It is not I am the minister, you are the hearers, or you are the attenders, or you are the spectators. It is I am a pastor teacher, you are the ministers, and so am I, by the way. I'm also a minister to the world of the grace and the knowledge of Jesus Christ. Ephesians chapter 4 is our passage this morning as we're going to look at what this whole deal means about being equipped for ministry, if you have a Bible, verse 7, here's what it says in Ephesians chapter 4. But to each one of us, grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, he says, when he, and the he here is Jesus, when he ascended on high, this is after he rose from the dead, and the Bible says he ascended before the eyes of the apostles, when he ascended on high, he led captivity captive, 
And he gave gifts to men. By the way, he led captivity captive. That's being set free. So that's why you got to be set free before you're equipped. All right? He led captivity captive and gave gifts to men. And here's what it says in verse 11, skipping down. And he, Jesus himself, gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors, and some teachers for the equipping. That's the word right there. Let's, let's say that word together. For the equipping of the saints for the work of the ministry. There's the work of the ministry. We just talked about that. For the edifying of the body of Christ until we all come to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to a perfect man to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. What are these verses saying? These verses are saying that God has a game plan to equip you for ministry. Let's bow in a word of prayer this morning. I want the Lord to open our hearts. And I pray, Father, in Jesus' name, that you'll speak into our hearts and our minds, that you will illuminate your word to us, that we will see things from a new perspective today, your perspective, and that your word will go forth clearly from my mouth, and that it will land on good soil at every person's heart, we ask this in the name of Jesus Christ, your son. Amen. God wants you equipped. Now, this verse in Ephesians chapter 4 talks about the gifts that Jesus gave the church. Now, you've probably heard about the gifts of the Spirit or the gifts of the Holy Spirit. They're mentioned in Romans 12, chapter 12. They're mentioned in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. And they are the gifts of prophecy, the gifts of um, edification, uh, faith, miracles, the gifts of healing, the gifts of tongues and interpretation, the gifts of um, word of wisdom, word of knowledge. Those are the gifts of the Holy Spirit. This passage in Ephesians chapter 4 is talking about the gift ministries that Jesus has given to the church. This is Jesus' gifts now. These are not the gifts of the Holy Spirit. Different set of gifts. And what does the Bible say in Ephesians chapter 4 about these gifts? What are they? Uh, we're going to put it back up on the screen. It, it says that they're people. They're the gifts of apostles. They're the gifts of prophets. They're the gifts of evangelists. They're the gifts of pastor and teacher. Ladies and gentlemen, I have news for you. I am a pastor. I am also a teacher of the Word of God. Jesus Christ is God. He he ascended on high and he gave pastors, teachers, apostles, evangelists, and prophets to the church. So God has given me, pastor, to you, and therefore I can confidently stand on Scripture today and say, according to the Bible, I am God's gift to you. <laughs> now before, <laughs> before you think I've lost my mind with uh, pride and arrogance, I, I want to ask you a question, and a very, very important question. When you give a gift to somebody, uh, what's more important, the person that you give the gift to or the gift? The person is more important. That's why you're given the gift. So it's not I'm more important. It's you are infinitely important to the Lord Jesus Christ. In fact, you're so important that he died for you. That's what it says in Ephesians chapter 5. And he also gives you gifts so that you can be built up and equipped for the ministry, so that we can be mature and grow as a church. The church of Jesus Christ, the church, you, 
are the most important people on the face of the earth in the eyes of Jesus. And it's important that you get this this morning. Because church is not somewhere you go. You, you have not come to church this morning. I, I have to burst some of your bubbles. You didn't come to church this morning. You came to a building. Before you got in this room, you checked your kids in if you had any. And then you came into this room. And, and this room is meaningless. This room is brick, stone, mortar, and sheetrock, and paint, and carpet. It is meaningless in the eyes of God. You are the church. People are the church. Human beings are the body of Christ. You know, the Bible talks about what we are, and it is a whole heck of a lot more than what we think we are. The Bible says that we are ambassadors for Jesus Christ. That's a good term. That's a high call ambassador. Some of you got to stick your chest out a little bit more today and put your chin up. I am an ambassador for the Lord Jesus Christ. I am here on mission. I have a job to do, and it's a high calling from God himself. The Bible says that we are the children of God. We are the children of God. Why do we sometimes act like children? Because we are children. But, but we are loved by God, dearly loved. And he has called us his sons and his daughters. We're not perfect, but we're loved by God as his children. The Bible says we are the salt of the earth. The Bible says we are the light of the world. The Bible says we are a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a chosen generation, a peculiar people that God has called us out of darkness, out of this world, to shine the light of Jesus Christ everywhere we go. We are the church, and we are infinitely important to the Lord Jesus Christ. You got to feel good about yourself. You are more than a Christian. You are more than a Christian. We, 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 we label ourselves as Christians like it's a qualifying category of humanity. We're much more than that. We're the hope of the world. We're the light. We're the answer to what people need. Yes, the hope of Jesus lives in us, not so that we can be happy about that alone, but so that we can share it with every person that we come in contact with. Our family members, our schoolmates, where we have um, uh, our work, our boss, our employees, and we have a huge job to do in the world. The world's messed up. The world has problems. There are people who are desperately dying and facing an eternity in hell. And Jesus Christ has left the job of telling them about him in the hands of you and I. And we've got to do this job on earth before Jesus comes. Do you ever realize that Jesus died, rose again, left? And before he left, he said, I want you to know it's good I'm leaving. I would have been like Peter. I'd be like, uh, no, it's not. We like you. <laughs> and we need you. And by the way, did you just see how bad we messed up when they crucified you? We need you here. He said, no, I'm leaving and the Holy Spirit's coming. He's better than me because he's going to live inside of you. There's just one of me, but he'll be in you. And you will do Bigger and better and greater things than I've done in the world. That's Jesus' words to the church. And so you've got a job to do everywhere you go. 
to tell other people about Jesus and to lead others in faith to go, Matthew 28, 19, to go and make disciples. That's your job. That's my job. We are either influencing people for Christ and toward Christ or we are pushing them away with our bad attitudes. We've got a huge job to do in the world. If you believe that, say amen. Amen. Every time I talk about these things, I know what goes on in some of your minds. I... This is what you think. I am not equipped. Good news is, God wants you equipped. He wants to make you ready to do this thing called discipleship, to to reach others for Jesus Christ. Some of you say, I'm just not qualifying for that. You know, pastor, I'm brand new to this. And I know we got a lot of those people here. You know, you're just getting the cellophane off your brand new Bible. You're still looking for the iPhone app right now. Stop stop for a minute. God never calls the qualified. He qualifies the called. And here's how he does it. He puts you in a body of believers, a local assembly. I'm a huge fan of the local church. Right now, there's a big old church gathering up in New Hampshire going on, rock and roll, or it's over right now. That's where a lot of our workers are right now. And and that's fine and dandy, but I think that more happens on Sunday morning and in the lives of your lives throughout the week than happens in one of those conferences anytime. You're the church. you got great calling on your life and a great purpose to fulfill. And it doesn't matter right now if you don't feel qualified because God is in the business of qualifying you and equipping you. And so this is what Jesus does to do that. He gives you pastors. He gives you teachers. He gives you elders. He gives you apostles and prophets. I, I believe that I have the gift of pastor, but more teacher. I have the gift of teacher first. And then I believe that up in Norwood, we have an apostle prophet. Pastor Geyser is more of an apostle prophet. Apostles go and they plant churches. We planted this church eight years ago because of Pastor Geyser. He wanted to plant a church in Attleboro. And then we planted Easton last year because that was in his heart to plant a church there. Apostles love to plant churches. That's what he is, I believe. Prophets bring correction and instruction to the church on how to turn from sin and how to get your life right with God. And that's Pastor Geyser's ministry. Have you ever heard him preach? That's why he is like that, because he's just doing what God has gifted him to do. And he is phenomenally gifted at that. And I'm a gifted teacher, and I I know that God has put this gift in my heart, not just because uh, it's effective, but because there's a burning passion in my heart to do it. But the reason why God has done that is because you're important to him. He wants you to be equipped. He wants you to be ready. Verse 12 says, why? For the equipping of the saints, that's you. I I had to put a parenthesis there so that you'd get this. Saints are not dead people on the walls of churches or in statues. Those were saints. They still are saints. Yes, I get that. But you're saints. You're a saint this morning. I'm telling you, if you don't feel good about yourself after you walk out of this place, I called you ambassadors, chosen, holy. I mean, what else can I tell you? You're saints of God. The next person says to you, what do you think you are, a saint? You can say, yes, I am. (laughs) You're the saints to do the work 
of the ministry. When people are sick in our church, you visit them. When people need help and, and, and meals after they've had a baby or they've had a sickness, you give them meals. When people are in need of teaching and instruction on how to live and manage their finances well, you can provide that. The way that you do that is you get equipped by being solidly founded in a local church and being taught the word of God so that it makes a difference in your life and it equips you to teach others. You are called to be equipped. Why is this so important? Because eternal lives are hanging in the balance. This, this is not just religion. And I hope you get this. This is not just doing church. Eternal existences hang in the balance, and it's up to us. You ever think about that? That's just crazy to me. And so it's so important that you're equipped. You know, how many of you ever, you, you, you've flown an airplane, uh, how many of you fly a lot? You fly oftentimes, job or whatever. I've flown a lot. How many know that the most often ignored speech in human history is a little airline speech, the little stewardess speech that they give you right before takeoff. Anybody ever listen to that? I mean, we, they try to jazz it up with jokes and stuff like that and, 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 and make fun of things. And, and, and I gotta be, I feel bad because nobody pays attention. And the reason why we don't pay attention is very simple. Because we all reason this in our heads. We're gonna be 50,000 feet up in the air, traveling at 600 miles per hour. And you're trying to tell me that if something goes wrong, there's a chance that I could get out of this alive? I don't think so. <laughs> we all get that. Like, Lady, if something happens, I know I'm dead. I've made my peace with God. Actually, that's what the speech should be. Ladies and gentlemen, before we take off, let's make our peace with God. I, th I think that should be the speech before you take off in an airplane. <laughs> right? Car accident, there's a chance. Plane accident, no chance. You're dead. Get ready. All right, but nonetheless, they, they, they tell you certain things they tell you certain things in, in that speech. They tell you, number one, they tell you how to buckle your seatbelt. And the reason why they tell you that is because they think you're a moron. And this, the, the second thing they tell they tell you where the exits are, right? There's two exits in the back, two exits in the front, two exits on the wing. And then they ask if you're qualified to help and assist other people if you want to sit on those exit rows. And all they basically ask you is, do you think you could help? And they don't have a clue who you are. And if you say yes, they're like, done. You're qualified. Go. I mean, seriously. And so then they tell you something very, very curious. And I've wondered if any of you have caught this. They tell you that should we experience a sudden decrease in cabin pressure. How many know about that part? You've heard about that part. What's going to happen? Oxygen masks will fall from the ceiling. And those are the things that look like uh, IV bags with a little pixie cup attached to the end. And, and they say, and, and here's what they tell you. When that happens, secure your own mask first before you assist anybody else. And I thought about this. That's one of the few times in your life where you will be told, put yourself first. It is. It's like every other area of life, you insist others go first. Even when it's your birthday and it's time to cut the cake 
You know, you got to cut the cake for everybody. What is up with that? It's my birthday. I want the cake first. And in and, and every other area of life, though, you got to put your others first. Put others first. You hear this in church. You hear this in school. You hear this everywhere. Put others first, except there. In fact, I even go so far as to say this. If you're traveling with small children, you make sure, parents, that you take care of your mask first before you take care of your kids. Isn't that crazy? I mean, parenthood is natural. Kids first. I've got to put my kids first, then me. And, and it's the only place in your life where you're told, be selfish. And here's why. Very simple reason. The airlines know that suffocating people stink at helping other people. That's really what it is. They know that if you're, you cannot help the other guy who's, and that's the same in the church. If you have not yet been equipped, to, if you have not let someone minister into your life and speak to you the words of God, you're ill-equipped to help others. It's important you're saved. It's important that you're healed. It's important that you're set free. But man, I'll tell you something else. You have got to be equipped. Because there are people in our world for whom the cabin pressure is suddenly decreasing. We need to be ready. So God equips you to be the ministers of God's love and compassion in the world in which you live. Now the question is, how do I become equipped? And I got four points, and then we're done. And I want you to write these down or jot them in your smartphone. First thing is this, to be equipped to do works of ministry in your life Number one, very simple, be available. Be available. You've probably heard this said. I'll say it again. God does not look for ability. God only needs availability. That's all he needs. Look at God's track record. This is his MO. I choose people who look ill-equipped and who are ill-equipped. And I'll equip them. <laughs> he chose Moses. Moses was given this very prominent public speaking position. He had to go to Pharaoh, the highest king in the land, and say, speak, let my people go. And Moses had a speech impediment. He stuttered. He couldn't put words together. He said that to God. And God said, let me tell you something, Moses. I gave you that tongue. And if I need that tongue, I can fix that tongue. And, and by the way, Moses had also killed somebody which I'm pretty much sure that if you try to get a job as a pastor in America and it's on your resume that you've been convicted of murder, you're not getting that job. But God's qualifications are obviously different than ours. And so God uses Moses, a murderer and a stutterer, to do the biggest job of deliverance the world has ever seen outside of Jesus. Then God finds David to be king of Israel. David, who his own father said, I don't think you're qualified to be king. Listen, the prophet Samuel is coming to our house today. He's trying to find a replacement king for Saul. And David, I got to be honest with you. You're the youngest, and 
you're not that tall and we don't think you're very qualified, so you go take care of the sheep and I'll show you, show the prophet your seven brothers. And the prophet comes in and he looks at him and he says, these are impressive guys. And God says, don't look at their appearance. I'm looking for the heart. I just need somebody who's available. And the Bible says that God goes out, the, 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 the father has to go get David from the sheep and bring him in. And God says, bang, that's the one I want. The one nobody thinks is qualified. I'm going to use him. God chose Peter. The guy who is outspoken and brash and, and obnoxious. The guy, if, if, if he was his friend, we would all say, oh, no, here comes Peter again. What's he going to say this time? Always says something out of turn. Always says something crazy. The guy who abandoned Jesus and then denied him three times. You would look at Peter, you would say, no qualification. You're a fisherman. Go back to being a fisherman. You were good at that. And God uses him to preach the first sermon and saves 3,000 people on the day of Pentecost. This is God's MO. He chose Mary Magdalene, who had seven demons, and he chose her to tell the disciples about the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Isn't that crazy? And he chose the woman at the well, a woman who had been divorced, married and divorced five times. You come to a church in America... With that track record, it precedes you. It precedes you. Here she comes. Jesus says, no, you go tell your whole town about me. And she does. She becomes a massive evangelist for the kingdom of God. God does not need qualified, able people. He needs available people. He needs people who will present themselves beyond anything else. Just be available. Let, let me ask you a question, a very simple question. Why doesn't God need able people? Because God already has all ability. It's that simple. If you need to be able to speak, God will give it to you. If you need to be able to debate, God will give it to you. If, if you need to be able to serve, God will give it to you. Whatever skills you need, God gives in fact, Acts chapter 17, verse 34 says this about God. He is not served by human hands as if he needed anything. He doesn't need your ability. He needs your availability. That's all you need to do is just be avail av available to the kingdom of God. And, and, and here's what it says in 2, uh, 2 Timothy 2, 2. The things that you have heard from me among many witnesses, commit these to faithful men who will be able. Not that they are able. They will be able. Ability comes later. 2 Corinthians 3, 4, 5, and 6. Paul says this. Not that we are competent in ourselves. No, 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 To claim anything for ourselves. But our competence, what does it say? Our competence, what? Comes from God. He has made us competent as ministers of the new covenant. Paul says, we didn't have what it takes. All we did was we said, yes. When Jesus came knocking on the door, we said, yes. What do I need to do to be a minister? Just say yes. But there's only one problem that I've seen in 14 years of being involved in, in church work. There's only one problem that I've seen with availability. Here's the problem. Too many Christians are sporadically available. What I mean by this is that they're in and they're out. They're up and they're down. They're here for a week and they're gone for four. 
They're, they're, they're in the church, they're out of church. They're, they're constantly maybe even moving churches and switching churches, trying to find the right place and always looking to be served. Their availability is sporadic. Which brings me to number two. How do I become equipped? Write this down. Be faithful. You, you first be available without any ability. Now here's how you become a man or woman of ability. Here's, here's the secret. If you want gifts in your life, if you want God to give you good things, if you want things to be blessed and poured out into your life, the secret sauce is faithfulness. God blesses faithful people. That's it. Look at the scriptures over and over and over again. Faithfulness is where God's blessing abounds. All you got to do is stay the course. All you got to do is stick it out. All you got to do is stay strong. All you got to do is hold on, even when you don't like it, even if you don't feel like it, even if other people leave, even if other people don't agree with it. You stay the course with God. I guarantee you, if you are faithful, you'll see the blessings of the Lord be poured out into your life. Jesus said it like this, very simple phrase. He who is faithful with little is entrusted with much. That's how it works in the kingdom. How many of you want more finances in your life, more money? I mean, everybody does. And most of you are lying right now. Here, here's how you get it. You're faithful with the small amount you got now. You don't put everything on credit cards. Cut them up. Uh, tithe 10%, save 10%, and spend the rest. And don't spend more than that. Be faithful wherever you are. Yeah, but if I do that, that means I can't go to Jamaica. That's right. That's right, you can't. Now, but as God sees you faithful with the little, he will, it just happens. You say, well, I don't know how it's going to work. Of course you don't know how it's going to work. He's God. The Bible says he works in mysterious ways. You don't know his ways. He'll make it work. Trust me. I, I, I just seen it over and over again. God blesses faithful people. Not, not gifted people. Not charismatic people. Not funny people. Not smart people. God blesses faithful people. You want God's blessing? You be faithful with what he's given you, and he will pour out into your life more than you can possibly imagine. In fact, for many of you, the only person that's stopping you from becoming great in the kingdom of God is you. you, you, you you're up and you're down. You're in and you're out. You're, you're, you, you backslide over the smallest things. I see, I see men in the church get emotionally distraught based on how well the Red Sox are doing. Are you kidding me? I, I see guys, they take it out on their wives and children when the Patriots don't win on Sunday morning. You have got to grow up. You have got to be more, better than that, stronger than that, because that's just a game that you didn't win or lose, by the way. All you did was sip your beer and watch your HDTV. That's all you did. 
Okay, so we got to be strong in the Lord and get faithful irregardless of the circumstances. Let me make a guarantee for all of you. You're going to go through some stuff. You're going to experience some bad times. You're going to have some trials and temptations and troubles. That's going to come. The rubber hits the road with your heart. Will you stay strong in spite of the bad stuff that happens to you? Because that's what separates the winners from the losers, my friends. That's what does it. Faithfulness is blessed by God. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians 4, 2, now it is required that those who have been given a trust must prove faithful. Whatever you got right now is a test. It's just a test. Can God trust you with more? And if he, tr- if he can trust you with little, he'll, he'll trust you with more. That's, that's how it works in, in the kingdom. In fact, here's been the biggest mistake that I've made as a church, as a leader, as a leader in the church, publicly. I have done this, I used to do this all the time. I have tried to find gifted people to make them leaders, and I hoped they would be faithful. Can I tell you that never worked? God says, stop looking for gifts. He told me, stop, just stop looking for people who are gifted. You find faithful people, and I'll give them all the gifts that you need. Because it's all about how faithful we are. Available, faithful. Here's what it says, what happens why, when you're faithful. It says, then, verse 14, then, after we've been equipped, when we've been faithful, when we've stayed the course, when we've... When we've um, when we've said, this is my church. And for some of you, that's what you need to do. For some of you, you need to say, this is my church. I am a member of Waters Church, and I am going to support it, and I'm going to be here, and I'm going to work in it, and I'm going to serve in it, and I'm going to be a valuable part of this. You need to stop being a spectator and start being a participator. You need to stop just receiving and start giving. That's what God's looking for. Then after that, after we've been equipped, we will no longer be (laughs) infants. Tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of men and their deceitful scheming. In other words, Paul says, when you're equipped... You stop being a baby. And some of us are just babies. Babies about every little thing. Talked about the men with, with, with sports. You're a baby. Get over it. It's, not, it's inconsequential. Ladies, you, you can't base your happiness on whether or not you're with a man. Can't base your happiness on whether or not you, you feel in the mood or not in the mood. I mean, you got to stop being like that. You got to be strong in the power of the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit supersedes how you feel. So we are equipped to be strong and to stop being childish. Say, Pastor, I just don't have time to take the access class. Pastor, I just I don't have time to be involved in small group. Pastor, I just don't have time to be at Wednesday nights, and, and Wednesday nights are coming back in the fall. You say, Pastor, I just, don't, I just don't have time. What you're really saying is, Pastor, I just don't want to grow up. 
Did you know the number one reason why people stay unchristian is the crappy attitudes of Christians? Sometimes we're worse in the world because we're, we're, we complain, we moan, we groan, we go here, there, and everywhere. We let one little thing throw us off, and the only thing that's keeping us from being mightily used of God is ourselves. Be faithful because God blesses faithfulness. I, I had a guy come to our church. He came here for about a year, and he only came on Sunday mornings, and we had classes like Access, which everybody should take. And uh, we had Wednesday night Bible study, and he only came on Sunday morning. Then he called me. After a year, he had been here on Sunday morning. Gave me a ring. Pastor, I just want to let you know. And by the way, I hate phone calls like this. I just want to let you know that at my old church, when I hear you say at my old church, my antenna goes up. What are you trying to strong arm me with? At my old church, I taught this class... And I just want to let you know so that if you want me to teach the class here, I will do that. Now, here's a guy who was coming to Sunday mornings only, not being involved in discipleship, not being involved in a small group, not going to any of the classes, not being at Wednesday nights, and he wants to teach a class. Let me ask you something. If Bill Belichick, since we're talking about the NFL, if Bill Belichick gets a guy from a, 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 a crummy team, what, what's a crummy team? The New York Jets. Okay, he gets a, a player from... <laughs> The New York Jets. And, and a guy comes up to Bill on, on practice day. He says, look, uh, uh, you know, halfway into training camp. They're in training camp right now. Uh, Bill, why don't you know that at the, my old team, I guarantee you they, they never have these conversations. But let's just say he did. At my old team, I was the starting left tackle. And I'd like to be the starting left tackle for the New England Patriots. And the guy shows up at 50% of the practices. Do you think he has a prayer of seeing the field? Ladies and gentlemen, I think that the church is infinitely more important than the NFL. And six people agree with me. <laughs> you may not know this. The church is infinitely, hugely, much more important than the NFL. If the NFL stopped, life would go on. If the church is gone, there's no hope for the world. That's how it is. And so I think we need to have higher standards. Not lower standards for the church. Oh, it's just the church. Oh, I hate that statement. Don't, don't say that to me. Please don't say that to me. I'll punch you. <laughs> it's just the church. Here, pastor, um, Nobody in our house wanted this 27-inch uh, CRT TV. Uh, it's a piece of junk, and three of the buttons don't work. But could the church use it? Yes, we can. Here we go. <laughs> it's good. Amen. I mean, why do we give crap to the church? It's the kingdom of God. It's the highest body in the world, the most important organization on the face of the earth. God deserves our best. God deserves our best. And we give him the leftovers and then we expect him to bless us. Doesn't work that way. Faithfulness. Faithfulness. God blesses that. Third, be willing to do anything. If you want to see God mightily use your life, be willing to serve. I got three verses of scripture for you, and then I want to tell you why 
they're so important. Uh, Titus 1.1, Paul, a servant of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ. 2 Peter 1.1, Simon Peter, a servant and apostle of Jesus Christ. James 1.1, James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul, Peter, and James, giants in the faith, opened all their letters by saying, before we're anything else, we want to let you know what we are. We are servants. That's what we are. In fact, James was the half-brother of Jesus. He could have said, James, the guy who used to give noogies to the Lord Jesus Christ. The guy who shared a bunk with his high and holiness. I mean, the guy could have said, I'm Jesus's stepbrother. Just want to let you know, just in case you're wondering where my authority comes from. No, he says, I am a servant of the Lord Jesus Christ. By the way, we know that Jesus is the son of God when his own brother can say, I guarantee you, he's the son of God. Some of you don't get that. Your brother comes to you and says, by the way, I want you to let you know I'm, I'm the Messiah. You're going to be like, yeah, whatever, dude. Let's call the white coats and get this guy out of here. I mean, you know Jesus is the son of God when his own brother can say, I guarantee you, the dude is the son of God. Okay? In my opinion, that's the biggest proof that he is who he is. All these guys say, look, I want you to know before anything else, we're servants of this guy. We're servants. We're, we're nobodies who God made somebody so that we could tell everybody about him. And, and, and there's this funny story in Mark chapter 9 where um, they came to a house. The Bible says in Mark chapter 9, verse 33, they came to the house, Jesus and his disciples, and he asked them, what were you arguing about on the road? He asked the disciples. And they all kept quiet. It says they all kept quiet because on the way they had argued about who was the greatest. That was the first pastor's conference, by the way. Some of you don't get that, but nonetheless, who was the greatest? He says, guys, let me, let me sit you down for a second. You know how it works in the world. The powerful people step on the little people. But in the church, in the thing that I'm starting, the greatest among you is the servant of everybody else. You know, the Bible says in 1 Corinthians that the parts of the body that we can't see are actually the most important parts. Now, I'm a very visible part of this body. I get that. So for some of you, wrongly, you think Waters Church, you see my face. And you think I'm the most important. I am not the most important part of this church. You know who I think is the most important part of this church? The people who are over in those rooms right now teaching our children about the Lord Jesus Christ. They deserve our honor. And... And nobody sees what they do. Everybody sees what I do. Everybody says, good job. Everybody says, wonderful message. I, I, it doesn't matter. Nearly as much as the people who are ministering to the least among us. In fact, in that very passage in Mark chapter 9, after he says, the greatest among you shall be servant of all, he says, taking one of the children, he says, look, uh, I want you to look after these. If you welcome this child in my name, you welcome me. So Jesus was a fan of children's ministry. And if you're looking for some place to be willing to do anything, that's where you can go right now into our children's ministry and invest in the lives of little ones. And these kids are so funny, aren't they? 
I, I kid you not, I, a couple months ago, I was leading my kids in the prayer to accept Jesus. It was a touching moment. Touching moment. My, my son is six years old. My daughter is 10. Powerful moment. And they accepted Jesus into their heart. And at the end of their prayer, I said, how do you feel? And Olivia says, great. And Connor says, my butt hurts. <laughs> it was just like one of those moments as a dad, you know. You just crossed the line of faith, and now your butt hurts. But nonetheless, be available. Be faithful. Be willing to do anything. Be a servant. Number four, be ready. You got to recognize the opportunities that God puts into your life, my friend. If we are the church, the service, the church doesn't end in a few minutes. It doesn't end. It goes out of this building. It goes to your home, to your school, and to your workplace. And you are the church. And you need to ask God, some of you need to do this, you need to ask God to give you eyes to see the people in your life and to be ready to minister to them. They are not the enemy. They are not the competition. They are your mission field. Paul says to Timothy, be prepared in season and out of season. Sometimes you're not going to feel like it, but you need to be ready anyway. Peter says, look, you've got to set apart Christ as Lord in your heart. He says, then, then you've got to always be ready, always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give a reason for the hope in which you have. But do this with gentleness and respect. And I think we need to underline that last line. Gentleness and respect. But be ready. God, give me eyes to see. Because at any moment, someone in your life could experience a sudden decrease in cabin pressure, personally. And the oxygen masks are going to fall. They're going to, this, is, this is how it works. The hardest hearts that you know. Suddenly there's a death in the family. There's a mortgage crisis. There's a divorce. There's a child going through drugs or something like that. And, and the hardest hearted person that you know has experienced sudden decrease in cabin pressure. And they're looking for air. Are you going to be ready to give it to them? Because you are the church. And you are the hope of the world. I want you to bow your heads and close your eyes. I want you to be ready. Don't leave this building and say, that was a good church service. The service begins now. And some of you got to stop playing games with God. Acting like you've done him a favor to be here. Acting like you fulfilled some kind of religious requirement for entrance to heaven. It's much more than that. Don't minimize the kingdom. It's the most important organization on the face of the earth. I think that there are leaders in waiting here. 
But the only person holding you back from being a leader is you. Stop messing around. And come back to God and repent and return to Him and say, yes, all of me, God, you can have all of me. You can have all of me. All of me. Some of you got to get over the little issues in your life that have tripped you up and got you caught off guard. You got to be stronger than that. God doesn't want you to be an infant forever. But you're growing in the grace and the knowledge of Jesus Christ. Here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to ask you. Say, God, I want to be ready. I want to commit my life to this thing. I want to give it all of me from now on. I, I don't know exactly what that entails, but I want to serve your kingdom in every purpose and every way that you want. Take my life. I give it to you. I want you to stand to your feet. If that's you, just stand to your feet. Say, take my life. All of me, stand up. Take my life. All of me, stand up. Don't look around either. Just you and God, just before him. All of me, God. All of me. Now, you stand up. Don't stand up if you don't mean this. You've got to give him everything. Everything on the table, 100% all to Him. I said in the first week of this message series that salvation is the greatest thing. It's free. It's free. It's total commitment. No, but, but, but it's total commitment. Total commitment. 100%. I can't be up and down. I can't be in and out. I got to go and not look back. I pray for every single person who is standing here this morning, God. I ask right now that you will give them the spirit of power and of revelation that they might know you better. That they might be the church. They will walk out of this building with a renewed sense of who they are in you and they will not turn around and they will not look back. That if there's sin in their life, they will repent and make it right. That if there's a poor attitude, they will repent and ask you to give them a heart of love passion that Lord you would do a mighty work in Waters Church North Attleboro and in the lives of our people that we will be a strong church an anointed church a bright shining light for the area and in Massachusetts and in New England that we will take this seriously and we will give you our all it's in Christ's name we pray Everybody stand up this morning.